I think the overwhelming feeling you get when you're, you're asked to talk about you know, Jesus revealing the Father or the Father revealed through Jesus is that there is so much that you could say is what to say and what not to say in, in, in one session, you know. But um, as I was driving down, you know, I, I thought it's not just about us knowing that he is our Father most Christians would say they know him as father, you know, they know that he is our father and so on. But is actually knowing experientially that he is our father that really counts. And that is a growing experience for us and living to walk in that is something very, very precious. Uh, we, I've just celebrated a very significant birthday, you can guess which one it is, but... Yeah, <laughs> we went. We went. My whole family. I've got four children who are married, and they've got. We got fourteen grandchildren, and surprisingly, they all wanted to go away together for my birthday, which was back in May. And uh, so, at great expense. We we hired some house that we could all get into, and we just went away for a week just to share family and fellowship and they they wanted to do it and I thought boy not many families would be willing to even do that or ready to do that but we we did it and so one of the evenings that we were there when our kids are the grandchildren and the children like to sort of do a little concert where we all sit around and do a piece you know do something do a dance or whatever it is some tiny little thing and then we all just enjoy each other and celebrate that way and uh, on this particular <clears throat> night when we decided to do it, the whole evening was just absolutely hilarious. We were all laughing and loving and loving it and just enjoying the time together. And lots of laughter, lots of joy, lots of delight in each other, which was great. And at the end, of course, they said, now, Grandpa, it's your turn. <laughs> and I thought, oh, dear, I'm not a performer, you know, I'd, you know, please. And um, so I said, well, like, I, I haven't got anything that I can perform in. I said, but what I can do is I could just lead you in a, a worship song that is particularly poignant for me at the moment, you know. And I said, especially if I have my grandson who plays a guitar and sings and you know, does all the bits that I can't do. So <clears throat> anyway, the, the song was that beautiful song where it says, you know, what a beautiful name. You didn't want heaven without us, but you brought heaven down, you know. And I think that, it, and so I got Theo, who's my second grandson, to come up and play the guitar and keep me in tune and keep me in time. And we all gathered around and began to sing this and, as we began to sing, the presence of God just came, you know, and um, so we were a little moment, and uh, <clears throat> anyway, so we sang it through a couple of times, and I sort of la la in between and did my bit, and um, you know, our children love the Lord, which is great, a great, wonderful God's been very kind to us, but um, but after we'd finished, you know, it it was like my two oldest grandsons came up to me, and they 
looked at me and they said, Grandpa, we've just had a moment, haven't we? I said, yeah, we have. And I thought, who told you about the moment? But what they recognized was that it it somehow, as you all know here, you know, in that time when the presence, the manifest presence of the Lord comes and his glory begins to fill the room a little bit, something, it takes another level, doesn't it? It goes into another place. And somehow, as we were having great fun, it was all healthy and clean and beautiful and funny and everything else before. But when he came, it was like, so we're just being captivated by his glorious presence, which changes the perspective of the whole moment together. And, you know, I, I was kind of thrilled that they somehow recognized the moment because most people don't always recognize it. And most of us sometimes, we miss the moment because we're so busy um, actually moving on to the next thing or whatever it is. But there's those times when he just comes and surrounds us with his love and his revelation of himself, and it is just suddenly we almost step into a moment of eternity, even whilst we're here with our feet on earth, you know what I mean? It's just like we're there. And uh, it was so, you know, we that that was that, and I was kind of pleased that they knew the moment. It's that scripture where John said, he said, I, he said, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in the truth. It's not that they know the truth, but they actually walk in it. And that they actually know him, and they know. And when it comes, um, I'll get to the father thing in a second. But just, just that following week, I we had a lady who's who's hasn't been with us for about a year. She's quite a high-powered lady, and she'd and she just asked to see me, and she'd been a little bit miffed with God because her mother, who was a believer, had died of cancer. Um, and it had been quite a painful death for her. And this lady had got a little bit upset, thinking, why would God let that happen? And so what happens when those things happen is we pull back a little bit, and we think, well, I'm not sure what to do now with God because I've experienced something that doesn't quite fit into my frame of how it should be. And so she's a little bit, she's quite a strong-minded woman, quite full-on and a lovely lady. And so she asked to see me, but she hasn't been coming and she hasn't come close because she's a little bit angry with God. And uh, so, <laughs> and she's not one that's that's walked too much in the moments, uh, but she's known them a bit, you know, so... So when she comes in, we we talk a little bit about um, she's she doesn't speak English, so she, we had to have somebody interpreting for me. But we talked about our family, our business, and all the things that were going on. And you know, I could tell she was going to launch on me with what, what about this? Why was this? And uh, so um, before we went very far, I just. I have no idea why. I've been meditating upon a scripture which is in John 5.20, which is something that Jesus said, and I'll tell you what it is. He just said this. He said, my father loves me and shows me all that he's doing. 
And it was a, it's a strange scripture in many respects because you think my father loves me and somehow connected to that is that he shows me all that he's doing. And it was as if Jesus in some ways was saying, I don't know that he loves me. Uh, it's not more than just the fact that I know the truth is that he loves me. But the evidence for me is that he includes me. And uh, I mean, you can think about it and meditate on it a little bit. And, but it's almost like Jesus said, the, the fact is the reality of his love for me is that he includes me in what he's doing in the earth. And he shows me all that, and so I'm part of that. And, you know, there were, there'll be many other evidences that he loved him, of course, but that was one of the central ones for him. And it was... <laughs> somehow, you know, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in love, um, the, the most... <laughs> the most painful part of being in love with someone is if they exclude you from an area that you legitimately should be included in. And uh, it, and so somehow that is a very painful thing. Part of being in love is that you share all things together. And it's like that Jesus was representing that perfectly because he actually... His whole life was a picture of walking in fellowship, sharing with his father. And, and when, you know, and I hate being excluded from something that I know that I should be included in. And of course that song that we sang on my birthday, which was, you know, he didn't want heaven without us, but he sent, you know, he sent Jesus to make heaven for us to be with him, you know, make it possible for us to be in that level of fellowship. And um, and it was like a little light bulb came on in this lady's heart as we shared it, because again, the Holy Spirit came in the room, and of course it was more than just me trying to be say words, and I wasn't even aiming at anything particularly, I was just overspilling something that was going on in me. And I could see in her that there was a kind of deeper revelation of the purpose of her salvation. It wasn't just to get her to heaven, to be in some mansion, in some sort of... Why would I want to live in a mansion in heaven? What a boring thing to do, you know. It's, I, I want to go there to be with my friends and be with him. And to be connected in that way, that surely must be the thing that we're looking for. And anyway, some something in her, the very thought that that might be possibly... The reason that she was saved was not just to, um, you know, get rid of her sin and get her a passport into heaven, but was that actually, while she's here on earth, she could be included in all that he's doing, become part of that, and know what he's doing. And so this woman, who's a little bit angry, uh, say the least, and probably got lots of questions, um, she began to weep. And uh, and so she then, as she's kind of quietly weeping, she then says, 
do you think we could pray? I, I thought, oh, yeah. <laughs> and she wanted to worship because she was a worshiper. She knew him, and suddenly, all this angst and pain and stuff had kind of evaporated in this moment where the Lord just came. And didn't mean she had a good answer for it or could understand it, but it meant that somehow it was not as significant to her as it had been ten minutes or five minutes before. And I looked at her and I just said this. I said, you know, the reason that Jesus died for you was to give you access to the Father so that you could walk in fellowship with him and be included in all that he's doing. And that's the doorway. It's like salvation isn't in itself the end. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no, you know, no one comes to the Father except through me. And, and, and he said, I am the way to the Father. I am the doorway. It says we have access to the Father through Jesus Christ by the Spirit. And so that he, what he did on the cross was he removed all the obstacles to prevent, which prevent us from having the fellowship with the Father and the intimacy with him. And so, you know, the, the gospel is both all-inclusive and exclusive. It's, it's funny, isn't it, because we have this political drive right now that every everybody has to be included in all things and so on and you know and anyway let's not go there but the interesting thing is that the scripture says whosoever will may come so it's inclusive of everybody but then jesus said there's only one way which is exclusive and so you have inclusive and exclusive and so this lady to go back to her she she was weeping by now and we hadn't prayed or anything but she said it's all right for you she said because you know you know him and you can walk with him and I said and I and she said but it's not like that for me I said just stop it I said of course it's like that for you it's just you're missing all the cues I said, I didn't mention that he'd come, and it was a moment. I said, it was you. I said, we were in the room. I knew it was a moment, because suddenly, from nowhere, he just decides to invade the space with a conscious awareness of himself. And I, and I thought, man. And she said, and I said, you began to get all tender inside, didn't you? And all the issues that you had weren't quite so important, were they? And I said, and all you wanted to do was worship and pray, wasn't it? And she said, yeah. I said, and you nearly missed that. I said, you asked to pray, but that's how you know him, is that he will constantly reveal himself. And you can know him as well as anybody else can know him. And, you know, you just have to learn not to miss the moments so that you can walk in that intimacy and get into the adventure of living included living in fellowship with him, living, seeing his kingdom come, 
and watching all that he's doing and being part of it. And, you know, it was <laughs> overall a moment for her. It was a life-changing moment, and, and it wasn't because there was any great clever argument going on, because you know there's many things that happen in your life and my life that any amount of words won't ever solve because we just don't, we can't get our heads around them. But when he comes, it's, it's so, so different, isn't it? Isn't it? And I suppose that had Jesus not gone to the cross and remove the obstacles of us knowing the father um it, what a it would it would be so dreadful for us but it says there's no there's nothing that stops you knowing him when jesus was um you know when it says that jesus revealed the father all the way through the old testament there are little kind of scriptures here and there that are very revealing concerning who the father is and his heart towards the people of Israel and his nature, even comparing himself to an earthly father, saying, you know, as an ordinary earthly father has compassion upon his children, so I have compassion upon you. He was saying, you know, you can understand even the most basic, simple relational issues between a you know, reasonably wholesome family with a father and children and a mother and you know that you understand that a father is compassionate towards his children and and that's the way I am towards you but when Jesus came on the scene you know one of the things that he was they all objected to was the very fact that he called God his father you know even more crazy he called him his daddy which is a slightly even more intimate expression it's like a real emotional connected relationship and um all the time you know right the way through the gospels and all that he said it's just jesus is constantly giving an expression of his relationship with the father so he came and demonstrated what it's meant to be like for all of us and make it possible for it to be like that for all of us and so, <laughs> when, he, when he came into his, his great prayer in John 17, he talks about the fact that he has revealed to them his, the Father's name. Or he said, your name. He doesn't just call him Father there. But most theologians or commentaries on it mean, you know, they would say, well, what name of God did jesus reveal to his disciples above other names because you know as you go to the the scriptures god makes himself known through his name and you know biblically name and nature are almost inseparable and so you have all those names of god that at moments in history of god's reaction and interaction with man he makes himself known as you know, I am your righteousness, I am your peace, I am your whatever, it goes on all the names, your healer and so on. Um, in moments, 
he called himself by that name. And, you know, I think of Gideon, who was set up to do the impossible, must have been absolutely petrified at taking on these Midianites and all their hordes. And, you know, it's in the middle of that experience where Gideon is the least, so he thinks, of all the people, and why would it be him, and so on and so on. And God says, I want to deliver you know, the people through you, and he just doesn't get it and takes a little while to get it. It takes him a little while to come to a place of faith. <clears throat> and um, But God bends over backwards, if you read the story carefully, to help him come to actually believe without doubting because all the time he lays out fleeces and does all kinds of other things, and he says, but what if? But finally, when, you know, he, God said, in, you know, even if you're still not convinced, Gideon, why don't you and your mate pop down to the enemy camp and <clears throat> I'll show something to you. So they go down to the enemy camp, and when they get there, there's two of the enemy inside their tent discussing a dream. And they're outside listening and the dream is that this barley loaf or something rolls down the hill and knocks them all out. And and one says to the other, it's none other than the, the sword of Gideon. <laughs> and it's like, hmm? <laughs> it's like, it's, and so here's Gideon outside. You're thinking, even the enemy knows I'm meant to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but if you notice in, the, in that moment, if you read, just read the story carefully, you'll see that, up until then, after after every moment when he was coming to a place of faith, he actually kept on saying, but what if? Maybe I haven't quite heard it right or something. But God knew that he needed to get there. And so he helped him. <clears throat> but this time, after this happens, when God sets it up for him, it just says, do you know what he did? He never said, "What? what if, again, he actually got on his knees and began to worship. And then he said, let's go get them. It was like God was so, even in that story, was a picture of him fathering him through to bring him to the place where he needed to get to. And so he actually, it just said, when he, when he was there, he just began to worship and give thanks. <clears throat> and... Um, but in the revealing of that, right in the middle of that story, of course, it, God reveals himself by his name that he is shalom, he is his peace. And, and do you think that was just, well, I want to tell you that I am your peace, and somehow he kind of got that up here. Now, somehow in this journey that he was taking, which was a little bit disturbing, probably as disturbing as it gets for any human being. And he come one day and said, I want to reveal myself to you as I am the God of peace and my name is peace and my nature is peace and why don't you have a bit of it? And then suddenly he, oh, blow me. Different from arguing up here, how can I do this, from God reassuring him from within, and him experiencing the peace. And so the names of God, you know, are his very nature. They are who he is. 
and all the way through the Old Testament, that was one of the ways that he revealed himself was through his names. So this is who I am. But then Jesus came. And so when Jesus walked on the earth, he said, I want to reveal another name to you. And that name is Father, with all the connotations of what a good father is. And what I'm going to actually do is I'm going to live out that expression of what it is to live in relationship with your father every day, every moment. So I don't do anything, but I see the father doing it. But I know that he loves me because he shows me all that he's doing. And so we walk in the security of knowing him as father with access to know him as father and to discover this revelation of what a father really is through the cross by the spirit and that's our inheritance is to be included in all of that and it's a kind of exciting adventure for us and a beautiful thing so that instead of us running around trying to (laughs) I don't know work it all out for ourselves somehow we we live under the canopy of a father's guiding hand and his um, somehow being in charge, knowing everything is coming, is all-knowing and is guiding us and <laughs> helping us and even when we think it's tomorrow and not today, I'm here and even when we try to get here quickly, every road is blocked. <laughs> and when we, you know, and I'm thinking... My father knew every bit of this. He knew I wouldn't... uh, My head was saying it was tomorrow. And I just happened to think before I popped out this morning to... I think I better read Heather's letter. And I'm reading the letter and I think, Thursday. (laughs) And if you've been traveling or ever done any 24-hour journey, you don't know which day it is. And I didn't even... Hardly worked out whether it was Thursday, Wednesday, Friday. I kind of thought it was tomorrow. But what, what do I do? do I, what happens then is, do I then get into some stressful panic of having to make this thing work or think, uh, I've got to, I don't know. Or do I rest in him, doing the best that I can? And the rest in him is not some intellectual rest in him, kind of, I know the fact he is my father is actually being reassured <laughs> that he's in control. And if I didn't make it today, he would have this under control. He doesn't need me. <laughs> and so <laughs> and so you and so that I remember my friend uh, Paul Wakeley, he was he was just discovering God as his father and and that whole area of sort of not being taking all the responsibility for everything. And he'd been invited to Alaska to speak at the conference there. And when he got to the airport with his piece of paper to show that he was on the particular flight, um, he... (laughs) Anyway, he gets to the desk and the lady said, I'm sorry, Mr. Wakeley, you're not on the list. You're not on the flight and um, 
and so and he's standing there and he's like in his own experience he would have been beginning to want to demonstrate and remonstrate and perhaps get a little bit whatever and get into a state with the whole thing and you know so he was told that he needed to get in some other queue or something because he was seeing if he'd get another flight and he said that the oddest thing happened to him that in that moment instead of him thinking well I'm meant to be there speaking and I'm meant to be here and I'm meant to be doing this and da 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 and getting into a stress he said all that happened to him was that he just got overwhelmed with this immense peace and he thought to himself do you know what if I don't go to Alaska to speak at the conference I'll go home and have a cup of coffee with my wife <laughs> and I'll be happy because I'm resting in the fact that he's got it all in his hands. Now you can talk about that, but it, for you to live in that experience, it really genuinely was no big deal to him. And so he would just turn around, go home and say, oh, it didn't seem as if that was what the father wanted me to do. But he was in that place of rest and he got in this queue and um, some other queue that he had to go and speak to somebody. And as he was in the queue and he was, he was at rest, he wasn't stressy like angry, stressy, whatever, upset, worrying. You know, he was just, as he was just there, he, he kind of just looking around and happened to see some um, lady sat at a desk behind and, and the father just spoke to him and he said, that, that lady will help you. And so he kind of found his way at the front of the queue eventually. But just before he got to the desk, the lady who was behind the desk swap places with the lady who was on the desk you know at the desk the other desk and uh you know and so he just explained his situation and she said oh i i used to work for alaska airlines and da 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 and so she had all the knowledge you could possibly want and anyway eventually it turned out that somehow they got his name back to front and it and so when they read down the list they didn't get it or something and and he got on the plane and he went. But the issue was he was at rest whichever way. He wasn't striving, stressing, worried about, you know, all those things. But he was in that discovery of knowing that the father was with him and that it, everything was in control. If he'd done all that he could do, then, you know, it wasn't that he was sort of deciding to leave late and rush through the traffic and hope for the best, but he'd left in good time, he'd done all the things, but that was how it was. And so there came this place of great security because he knows that the Father is watching over him and he's beginning to live in that experience of that and let it unfold and make that in itself the adventure, make that itself the day rather than the conference today. Do you get me? Yeah. And, you know, Philip said to, to Jesus, because <laughs> you know, Jesus all the time was talking about, I'm going to go to the Father and about the Father, I'm going to, and he just said to his disciples, you know, where I'm going you can't come because, of course they couldn't come because he hadn't yet been to the cross. 
That's why they couldn't come, but they read it as, well, I'm going to exclude you now. And they were getting all upset about that because they said, where, where I'm going, you can't come. And then Peter said to him, and then Jesus said, well, you can't come now. I've got to do, I've got to go prepare a place. I've got to make a way for you to come. Then you can come. It's not that I'm excluding you. And, you know, then he says, if you've seen, so Philip says to him, oh, show us the Father. Stop talking in riddles and whatever. And Jesus looked at him. <laughs> He said, have you been with me this long and you haven't seen the Father? He said, have you seen me? You've seen the Father and you have this kind of rather mind-stretching aspect of the Trinity where Jesus was the perfect representation of the Father and yet he was the way to the Father. And, and he talks, in fact, up to them. He says, I won't leave you as orphans. He said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans because the worst thing in the world is to not have a father um, and to be left on your own to take care of yourself with nobody believing in you, nobody encouraging you, no one there to guide you. It's just to say, well, I better, here I am, I've arrived on the planet and if I don't take care of me, then... Who will? And so you walk into independence um, and all of those things. I think what happened to those disciples, although they doesn't tell us is in the Bible the kind of history of their background, but I think when they met Jesus, what they loved about him was they loved the life that was emanating from him. They loved him, but he was actually a father to them whilst they were on it. For the first time, they'd really known what it was like to be fathered. For someone to say, no, no, son, don't do that. Oh, I think I should do that. Come on, you can do it. To actually, oh, I believe in you. You can make it. And full of great love and concern, full of, you know, awareness of where the children are at. You know, when Peter does the worst thing and denies Jesus after claiming that he never would and saying, oh, I'll never do that. All the others may do it, but I won't deny you. You know, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it, that even to the very end, Jesus was demonstrating something to him when he, you know, he said, you're going to deny me, and he warned him that that would happen. Uh, but he also spoke into him faith, and he said, he said uh, you will deny me, he said, but when you have turned. He didn't say, if you turn. He said, when you have turned, strengthen the brethren. He said, you'll do it. You'll turn. And then you can strengthen the brethren. But then even after the resurrection, when it was all a little bit chaotic and a bit, we don't know where things are at. He had, you know, Jesus reveals himself to the women and he says to them, go tell the others that I'm risen. Um, oh, and by the way, make sure you tell Peter. And so Peter, you know, he's in the room with all the others thinking, oh, what, what, what on earth's happening? And they don't even, they haven't really quite got it that he's going to be raised from the dead. And the women come rushing in all excited and they tell. And then, and then oh, oh, and by the way, Peter, he said, you. 
He said, to make sure you know. And it was like, what on earth happened inside Peter when he heard that? He must have thought, if he hadn't heard that, he'd have thought, you know, I suspect he is risen, even if he is, I'm not sure what to do with it. How I'm going to face him. But it was like, oh, he's still speaking to me. He's still got me in mind. Still caring for me. And so he said, have you been with us this long and you haven't seen the Father? He said, I'm both demonstrating this kind of double dual aspect of I am a son to the Father and I'm responding in that relationship. And, um, but I'm also, I'm demonstrating the very nature of the Father by the way that I'm behaving towards you. I'm not leaving you on your own. Um, you know, I am not going to leave you as orphans. It's a great scripture there in John. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever given much thought to that because it's a whole subject matter in itself. But if you've ever met an orphan, we've got to know a few, but one of the most significant things about an orphan that you'll see is the orphan attribute is they do take care of themselves. I was on a plane coming back from the Czech Republic with a guy who'd been in an orphanage since he was your dot. And um, <laughs> I'm just sitting down, coming back from the mission, and behind me there's this kerfuffle, you know, where this guy, who's, who's a bit of a muscle man, been on the tour with us, and he was Czech Republic, you know, he was a Czech. And he said, uh, so I, I hear this noise going on, and there's two people ready to have a fight out of their seats behind me on the plane. And I think, what on earth is this, you know? And so I get out of my seat, and I go back there and look at me. I said, what on earth are you doing? And he said, oh, he called me something and said this. He said, I'm not letting anybody do that. He said, I'm going to punch him. I thought, blow me. This is... What a, you know, I said, well, you're not going to do it on my watch. I said, you can stop it right now, you know, because, you know, you... But what he'd learned was this. If nobody was looking out for him and taking care of him, then he would naturally take care of himself, which is, of course, the primary nature of all sin. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way, and we're independent of God which is the very thing that the cross has done, as to bring us back into a dependent relationship upon him, willingly and happily. Whereas we have said, no, we'll do this ourselves. We'll take care of ourselves. And so that's what they want to do. And, and you know, there was a lady in the Philippines who, very famous lady now, but when she was young, she was an orphan and she used to walk the streets and one of the things that happened on Christmas Day, they apparently in this particular place where she was, they celebrated Christmas rather like we do. We have, you know, food and presents and family and whatever in, in the, you know, I know that isn't true for everybody, but generally that's what was happening. And she said she would walk down the street and she'd look through the window of the houses and inside they'd be all wrapped up in each other and, eating food and giving presents and unwrapping the presents. And she could see that. And she was outside where that wasn't happening for her. And she used, she said at the time she used to 
remonstrate outside the windows and she used to shout, what about me? What about me? What about me? Can you see me? Can you see me? And of course they couldn't see her and no one was seeing her. And there's something inside of every human being that needs to be seen. And that was the very thing, that the orphan wasn't seen. And that's why Jesus said this. He said, when you pray, he said, don't go out there so you're seen by everybody because the orphan has to make sure you've seen me. Even the orphan in church has to be at the front to be seen because that somehow gives them significance. But actually, the orphan... He said, don't do that. He said, go shut yourself in the room. He said, do it in secret. He said, in your giving, in your fasting, in your praying. He said, and your heavenly Father who sees, he'll reward you. So you're living on the earth seen by someone who loves you and cares about you, has a plan for you, and loves to be with you. And so Jesus said, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. (laughs) He said, don't be like the pagans who worry about what they're going to wear, what they're going to eat, what they're going to, I don't know, drink or something. And um, it's not that we don't need those things. He just said, if you spend your whole life and all your energy worrying about those things, You're living like an orphan. And then Jesus says in that passage in Matthew 6, he says, your heavenly Father knows that you need these things, and he sees. So we don't live anymore in a place where we're not seen by anybody. We don't live in a place, but we know that before him we are significant and that he longs to be walking with us and enjoying our fellowship and taking care of us and (laughs) fellowshipping with us. And so we have to learn to make the transition. It doesn't mean that you never make any plans about money or food or clothes. He said, don't worry about them. He said, you you know, I'll guide you. You need to do all that stuff, but that's not going to be the thing that eats you up as well. I've got to take care of myself. Got to make sure that everything works out because if I don't, who is going to do that? And you know, who's going to take care of me? And I remember talking to a lady. We went on mission, a number of us, whole team, and this lady was quite a good lady. And but her husband wasn't quite there yet, and so she she just mentioned to me something, and I said, well. Look, you're the one that has experienced Jesus and know him and you've got, you know what it is to be living under grace. Um, I said, maybe you, know, you should be drawing on that grace to be taking up some of the slack in the relationship just you know, where he's not there yet. I always remember it because this is the word she said. She said, what about me? Who Who's going to take care of my needs? What about me? And I thought I heard 
this deep cry of the orphan that was saying, who's going to look after me? And I thought, you haven't, not that any of us have, but you haven't arrived yet. You haven't got to the place where this relationship between us and the Father is established in every day for you. And you've got a story to tell of where (laughs) he has not left you as an orphan, but he's taking care of you. And you're not just filled up with lots of good sermons and good you know, constructs in your brain that tell you the right thing to say. But you're, you know those things. Of course you need to know them, but you live in them. You have a story. Say that he, at the end of your life, I, 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 when I was in Venezuela, there's a lady there who I try to visit when um, every time I go, she's part of a family. She's 88, she's got no digits. She's, something happened to her when she was younger, she's blind. Um, and she's really very wizened, ready to go. And she sits in a room, I mean, she's in this family, she's loved in the family, but it's like, and she loves God, and, it's, and, and I don't, you know, I don't want... So I, as I go to the house, and the last time I went, I wasn't able to... see her um, but this time I kind of when I, I was going to the door because we were going to have a meal at the, with the family I thought I wonder if she's still here whether she or the Lord's taken her home you know and so I I asked if I could pop to the loo because one of those had been near a loo for a while and, uh, and so I I go down to their little loo down the back in this kind of rather rambling building and as I come out of the loo, there's her bedroom door open and I just happened to look in and she sat in, a, in the dark in a plastic garden chair and I think, I can pop in there when nobody's looking and just say hello to her, you know. No, she didn't know I was coming, I don't think. She may have been told by the family she didn't know very much but I, I, just, I just introduced her. I went in, put my arms around her and just introduced myself and she began to worship and we began to sing. And we began to have a glorious moment together. I thought, wow. Here I am, you know, miles from home. And here's this lady who's got very little to shout about. And yet she's in sweet communion instantly. Our hearts begin to sing together. as we, as, um, And it's like we're making this noise together. It's a little bit weird, you know. We're... We're doing this kind of Holy Ghost thing. And, and of course, um, so there we are. She's in the chair. I'm doing this. And I can't stop making this worshipful noise. And she can't. And anyway, somebody comes in and interprets because we don't even speak the same language. But we do speak the same language. And so somebody came in and I, I, I asked them to interpret what, what it was that she was saying. And she just she was apparently saying this. She said, my life is good. He has provided everything I need. And I'm happy. And I'm in fellowship with him. And uh, I thought, your life is good? 
you know, and uh, and I thought she had found him. And there she was, and at the right time, she has obviously some purpose, even if the purpose was to meet me and cheer me on my way. Because I come out of that room singing in my spirit. Everything's zinging. I'm thinking, whoa, here's a real one. Yee. There are lot, lots of them over there. But, and, and it was like she somehow in her journey, and which had no doubt had tragedies and everything else, has found this glorious Father. And is in glorious fellowship with him, with limited ex, you know, ways of expressing that. But she's there. And so I, it's a great joy to me that she's living in that way and that somehow her experience through life has brought her to that place and she knows him. Um, what a beautiful thing. So, what am I saying? Let me just say a couple of things. I'm kind of dipping into a lot of stuff, but this journey of that's just remember as Jesus opens the door for this journey. There's nobody else. On the cross, he opened the door. We enter in through him, but what it does is it's a, I think it was Derek Prince who said that, he said, Jesus, and, and don't go mad on me theologically, he said, he said, Jesus is the way to the Father. It's absolutely significant, absolutely. And don't try and get your head around the, do, the doctrine of the Trinity because it's, it's true, but it's hard. I think it's deliberately hard for us so that there's a measure of faith and trust in it. But it's like it is the doorway to the Father. But in him, you know, we find our significance and our identity, which changes the way that you live every day. And, in fact, it's fathers, um, you know, that's part of the role is to help you to know who you are and your significance and your identity and somehow that is the role that God has given and God himself, you know, is the one that gives that to us. When Adam and Eve were in the garden and they were, (laughs) they sinned, which what it did was it cut them off from um, their, their kind of that intimate relationship with the father it wasn't that they were excluded forever because i think that adam you, you know the father preached the gospel to them and they believed but they it, anyway it changed everything didn't it the fall and uh, but what then happened was as you look at man you find that he had to find his significance and his identity through created things. I'll go build a city. I'll go make a name for myself. I'll go do this. I'll look this way. I'll have this 
credential and education. None of those things in themselves are wrong. And don't get me wrong, I'm not down on those things. But they, if they become your identity, who are you? I'm Dr. So-and-so, or I, am, I dress this way, or I have this amount of wealth, or this amount of possession, or whatever it is. And somehow you're looking for your significance and your identity in all the wrong things because you haven't got it in him. And so that's what happened to mankind, was that he was running around looking and searching for an identity somehow to distinguish them or to make them slightly, I don't know, whatever it is. And, and it was quite interesting because we, we, we were doing a youth thing in Venezuela and, <laughs> they, oh, you can't believe this stuff. Yeah, you couldn't make it up. But anyway, we, they were, they had the, we had the sort of day off up the mountains in this recreational place. But they had to, you know, they got us trying to preach up there, and I, I wasn't up for it particularly, but they said, oh, will you do a question and answer session? I'm going to tread on some toes, so don't get upset with me. But um, <laughs> would you do a question and answer session with the young men and the boys? And I, I said, oh, yeah, if you want me to. And um, so anyway, I, I'm thinking, I wonder what they'll ask me, because I'm not very good. I'm not, you know, some people are very sharp, aren't they, and quick, and God never gave me a quick wit. I, 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 I thank God from Moses. You know, he said, I'm slow of wit. He said, I'm slow of speech. And yet he was, God used him as a great leader. And it was, God was saying, good. Because if you're quick of wit, you'll probably think up some things yourself. But if you're slow of wit, you're going to have to depend on me. So it's not such a bad thing. Anyway. So if that helps everyone who's slow of wit, glory to God. But <laughs> when, so, you know, so they're all sat around me. And the first, because we've taken a team with us who are, who've got a few tattoos and tattoos are taboo, <laughs> if you know what I mean. They're out. You know, that is a major issue out there. And uh, so the first question they asked me is, you know, what does God think about tattoos and piercings? And I think, you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> you know. And... Um, so we kind of, we're fumbling around, standing on one leg, not knowing what to say and not exactly coming up with anything that's earth-shattering. And, um, but uh, eventually, you know, the Spirit comes and helps us a little bit. Because they, the question they're asking is, if I have a tattoo and I pierce my nose and my ears and every other part of my body, you know, will it mean that I'm going to be excluded? Is God going to be angry with me? Or am I going to, does that stop me being a Christian or something? And of course... The answer is no, it doesn't, you know, it's not. And whatever you want to do with odd verses in the Bible, it doesn't. And, uh, you know, but I said, so eventually, you know, it's almost like somehow in that journey, people think I have to be distinguished and seen and identify myself with something and add something to who I am. I said, do you know what? I just, 
it doesn't stop anything, so don't get all worried about that. I said, but if you really knew the Father, and don't, there's probably people here screaming now, you know, he's enough. And your identity is in him. And that's where we want to go to. But if you end up going there and getting a few on the way, it's all right. People are looking at me now. Don't, you, this is not, this is probably not a policy, but I said, and, <laughs> and so, but I think it doesn't really matter that much. But what I want to do is to bring you into a place where you're so loved and so know your identity in Him that honestly, He's enough. It's enough. You don't, it's like man. This is what defines me. This is what says who I am. And that's what he wants, his sons and daughters in the earth who live under that canopy of understanding and experience. <laughs> that I'm loved. I'm loved. I'm known. I'm walking with him. And, uh, you know, uh, and that is who I am. Um... It's, it, it, that song that we used to sing a little while ago, which was, you're a good, good father. And it says, and it's one of the lines says, and I'm loved by him. That's who I am. That's my identity. And so all the other stuff, whether it be tattoos or piercings or clothes or fast cars or all the other stuff, they're okay. But it's not you. What is you is something far deeper than that. You know, I, 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 my father died when I was um, three and I don't remember him and I lived in a really strange world. I never ever thought about having a father because I never had one. Until I was 36 when I, um, I wanted to give up the farm and go full-time in the church and somehow I had to face the family and say, look, I'm going to give up the farm and you've worked all hard for years to get it, but tough. <laughs> I'm going to do this. And it was a kind of challenging moment. And um, when I... Anyway, moment comes, tell the whole family who it's going to affect. Uh, not my wife, because she knew, but you know the rest of the family and... As I, I went home, went to bed, and I woke up the next day, and it's the weirdest experience of my life. I just woke up, and in the morning, I, uh, there was only one person I wanted to walk through the door and say, it's all right. And that was my dad, who I'd never thought about. I thought, I wish he'd come just as it's okay. And for six months, I woke up every day with the same feeling. Until someone prophesied over me, not knowing what the father and what my father would have said, not knowing the whole story, just blew me to pieces. They didn't know anything about it. And it was like, because I wanted somehow that identity, that strange connection between father and child in, in, in its right way when even when we're fallen, evil, and don't do the best always, but, you know, that's meant to be there. And, um, anyway, I, I didn't know why I wanted that, but your identity, your significance, 
is, you know, the door is open to that in the cross through Jesus so that you walk about the earth loved, knowing you're a son, you're a daughter, in fellowship with the Father who gives you all the identity you need and it changes every, every, every single thing that you do, it changes. Let me just finish with one thing and then we do some praying. Ah. <laughs> I discovered something, some of you will have heard me say this, but I discovered something in the story of the prodigal son, I'm not, you know, not to overdo it because I'm sure we've heard that a thousand times. But we have a picture of the father. And what we have is a son who's rebellious, who hasn't quite got it, but he runs off and wants to do it his own way. He blows all the money, he does all the things he shouldn't do, or his father would have taught him not to do. And then one day he begins to come to his senses and he's he's in a pretty, he's got a few complicated things going on in his head but he kind of knows that somehow his father in a far distant country now by now is is a kind father because he says even my father's servants are doing better than I'm doing right now and so he begins to make his way home and with a measure of apprehension, he didn't know the end of the story like we know the end of the story. So what happens is that he is going home and as he gets nearer to home, he's thinking, I'm going to go back and face my father with all the complexities of what that means and what I've done means and so on. And so he is, gets to the end of the drive or wherever. And, you know, there's many things he's not sure about. And And, you know, he... Uh, I don't. He wasn't certain about very much. wasn't certain about how his father would respond to him. I don't think he was very certain, but he knew enough, just an inkling, to think that he could come. And so he is apprehensive, slightly anxious, very smelly, um, not looking so sharp, and you know having to be humble and having, having come back and, and of course we know the father sees him and has been looking for him and runs towards him which was again a moment, it took a little while and you think I wonder what he's going to do, give me a good hiding, is he going to what's he going to do but he runs towards him and, and before he can say anything at all which he's ready to say He's happy to admit that he's wrong. He's happy to admit that he's, you know, where he's at. But before he can say anything at all, <clears throat> the scripture says that the father fell on him and embraced him. And it doesn't say any more detail than that, but um, it says that he fell on him and embraced him and it doesn't say how long the embrace was. Um, it doesn't say anything about that. But just imagine for a moment. Here I am. I've come with all my junk, with all my insecurities, with all my frailties, with all my um, shame and everything else. And I come to the Father because all I had to do was to turn around and stop going my own way and come back to him. 
And as I come back to him, you know, he runs to meet me, which is an expression of his glorious heart. And then he falls on me, embraces me. It's a, the word that's used there is a strong, affectionate embrace. It's an affectionate embrace. And he holds me. And in that moment, he, he's holding me, and there is a communication that is exchanging between us without words. And, and inside the, the sun, there's this thought, well, it seems as if he's pleased to see me. That's a communication. He wants me home. He's happy that I'm home. Feels like whatever I've done, he's forgiven me. It feels like however awful I feel, um, doesn't seem to matter to him. And it seems as if he loves me and is glad to be with me. And it seems for a moment like heaven on earth and I'm dreaming. And he's holding me tight and he's communicating with me something that words, you know, are almost unnecessary. And this was an embrace that I imagine went on for a little while. It wasn't a quick, oh, welcome home, son. Right, let's talk about things. It was a real deal. And it was the embrace that needed no words but communicated a million words which went on and on and on. And it was the embrace that the sun was not going to decide when it was over. When I embrace people sometimes in the church and I think it's time for this embrace to stop. <laughs> and so somewhere in there there's this kind of body language and a little bit of a moving away and what have you and you kind of decide it's over or somebody does. Normally it's both decide. Um, but in this case, this was an embrace that the sun was never going to decide it was over. It was, it was the embrace of all embraces. And it was like the embrace that he never wanted to end and it didn't ever need to end. And it was an embrace that somehow it, the, the sun was not pushing him away, saying, I've got to tell you something, Dad, which he did have to tell him, but it didn't matter. He said, I'll stay here as long as you'll stay here, Dad. Because this is the most wonderful thing I've ever known. And then eventually the father would have decided it was over. And he would have began to step back and they must have had a thousand communications anyway. But it was the father's embrace. Which was, you know... All the words, all the textbooks could never substitute for the embrace. It was an all it was an all encompassing experience, which was deeper than just words in his head. And of course that's the difference between preaching and the word becoming flesh is when the Holy Spirit is in the word that somehow you're listening but you're listening on two levels. It's you're listening in your head and trying to get your head round it, but then something in your heart is going off and something's exploding inside you and you don't 
quite know what it is, but there's a moment when the word is being fleshed out in you, whatever revelation it is, and this is the moment. And it's the Father's embrace. And then to my, you must have heard this before, but I'll say it again. To my surprise, when in Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius's household is listening to Peter, who's bringing the gospel for the first time to the Gentiles, and he, um, and as he's speaking, because I can't ima- I imagine he was stalling. You think, I can't make an appeal here. This is really not the place to do this. And he didn't quite know what was going on. But as he was telling about Jesus and doing that and all this crowd of people who gathered together with Cornelius were there. And it's, remember, it's the same writer. Luke wrote Luke's Gospel, which is where the prodigal son story is. And Luke wrote the Acts, I mean, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But anyway, <laughs> this is a word that you'll find there in Acts chapter 10. It said, and whilst Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on them. And if you go and look it up in the Greek, you'll find that the word fell on them is the same word that is used in the prodigal son story where it said he fell on his neck. It's the same word. A strong, affectionate embrace of the Father. So we think, oh, Holy Spirit comes, it's power, it's gifts, it's miracles, and of course those are included. But Essentially, the experience, first of all, when the Holy Spirit comes, is that it is the embrace of this glorious Father, which is all, it's amazing, and it's life-changing. And, you know, and that's our, that's, it says in Romans 5, it says, that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so when the Holy Spirit comes, one of the things he reveals is the embrace of the Father for you. Which is the beginning of the journey of knowing and walking with him and having your moments with him and doing all the stuff. And then Peter says when he's reporting back to the church in Jerusalem, he says this, he said, the Holy Spirit fell on them as he did on us. So day of Pentecost, drunkenness, tongues, prophecy, spilling out, great. But the embrace... It was like the Father embraced him. So he said, he fell on them as he did upon us at the beginning. And who was I to stop them being baptized and so on? And so for you and for me, you know, the... It's not just knowing the information. It's living in the experience over and over and over, until you're established as sons and daughters who live in that way. And, and that is what you're into. It's what happens when you worship. It's what happens when you pray for each other. It's what happens when he visits you in whatever position you're in. Until you know the moments you are established. And there's a moment when you've not known the embrace. It's true, but you've not known it. And there's always a moment when that embrace can be all-encompassing and change you forever. And that's where he wants to bring all of us, so that we walk through the earth with our identity firmly fixed in him. Shush. And so we're going to pray. 
And I want, I, I, I don't know if you want to pray for each other or, and we'll walk around and pray with you. But somehow in that, I, you know, I'm going to pray the Holy Spirit will come and bring a revelation of the Father, the glorious Father who, you know, Paul says, I pray that you might have a revelation. And he's talking to well-healed, well, not healed, but well-established believers in Ephesus. And I'm praying the same. So why don't we stand? And, you know, we've got a quarter of an hour, ten minutes, five minutes, whatever. He can do it in... <laughs> but he's here for you, and just lift your hands to him and, you know, just welcome his embrace. And, you know, just let him come. Don't decide when the embrace is over. But You've got to go to lunch, but don't decide when it's over. You can still be getting the embrace while you're eating your lunch. But you don't walk away from it. It's him. Shush, Father, we thank you. Whoa, come on. Come on, Lord. Come on. Just deepen that work in our hearts. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the doorway being made open. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. We thank you, Father. And this morning, we want to walk into that embrace more than we've ever done before. We want to experience that wrapping around of your arms and your love. And we welcome you to come. Come on. Let him come. Just cast yourself upon him. Let the Holy Spirit come. Maybe some people can help pray and minister, but whatever. I'm, he's here. You don't even need some physical hands, but sometimes they help. Shush. <laughs>